Welcome to the Weird History Podcast. I'm Joe Streckert. This is an independent, listener-supported show. To support it, go to weirdhistorypodcast.com. Happy October, everyone. And once again for October, we are doing suitably Octobery episodes. Episodes about horrible things, terrible things, ghastly things, and in this case, ghoulish things. To kick off the best one-twelfth of the calendar, I want to talk to you about Pope Formosus, who sat upon the papal throne in all of his papal finery while his enemies yelled accusations and denunciations at him, saying he was unworthy of that throne. He was unworthy of that finery. This man was a traitor, a liar, a sinner. He had committed the lowest of deeds, disqualifying him for the highest of offices. The Vatican echoed with the sound of Pope Formosus's enemies levying accusations at him, and through it all, the Pope sat silently, because Pope Formosus was dead. This is the tale of the Cadaver Synod, when one pope dug up another and put his corpse on trial. But why? What would make you so mad at a guy that you'd dig up his corpse and put his dead body on trial like some crossover between Weekend at Bernie's and the Spanish Inquisition? I wish I could tell you that it was for really juicy, salacious reasons. This would be a much better story if Formosus was one of those decadent popes who luxuriated upon the throne of St. Peter. I wish I could tell you that the reason they put his dead body on trial was because he put on ghastly executions, where he made a show of all of the torture and punishment of his enemies, or because he threw unhinged, eyes-wide-shut parties in the Vatican, allowing, allowing any type of act to be committed within the church's gilded walls, or because he combined the two, and he let no hunger of his, be it for the blood of his enemies or the flesh of others, go unsatisfied, and he let himself become Caligula, born again, wearing the papal tiara, and styling himself as a successor of St. Peter and a representative of God on earth. But I can't tell you any of that, because Pope Formosus was actually kind of a boring conventional pope, and he was not a decadent Dracula, Caligula, Elizabeth Bathory, Jack the Ripper type situation. Uh, no, he was sort of a normal guy. So this is not tabloid TMZ material. To understand why his corpse got put on trial, we've got to talk about what Formosus's career was like before he became Pope, and also succession issues in the Holy Roman Empire. So before he was Pope, Formosus was a bishop in Portus, a town just outside Rome. He also kind of did some stuff on the side. He had some success as a missionary, converting people to Catholicism in a far-off land called Bulgaria. Now you'd think that this would make him a very good bishop and get him a lot of accolades in the church. After all, he's being both a bishop and he's out in the formerly pagan land of Bulgaria. But while some people within the church did think Formosus was doing a great job of bishoping and missionarying, others saw it differently. They saw him as somebody who was double-dipping, moonlighting, 
neglecting his duties in Portus in favor of creating a new political base for himself out in Bulgaria, and conspiring to be both Bishop of Portus and Archbishop of Bulgaria, giving himself far more of a political base than most bishops or archbishops ever had. And, from this larger-than-normal political base, potentially using that as a stepping stone to the papacy. Now, plenty of people in the late 800s probably coveted the papacy. There were probably a whole lot of priests and bishops and archbishops and cardinals who really wanted to be pope. But here's the thing. You weren't supposed to want to be pope. Even if that was your ambition, ambition was frowned upon. You couldn't say you were running. So for Formosus, doing what looked to be an obvious power grab was frowned upon by lots of his fellow churchmen. So there's that. At the same time, the Holy Roman Empire was having something of a succession crisis. Now, the details of that are not important. And if I were to go into the backstory of this succession crisis, this episode would be much, much longer. But what we really want to get to is people yelling at a dead guy. So don't worry about it. What's really important here is that Charlemagne dragged the church into Holy Roman Empire politics. He had a pope crown him, and that meant that all of his successors and other kings and other emperors also wanted popes to crown them. So whether they wanted to or not, that meant that popes and bishops and archbishops and other members of the church were not neutral when it came to earthly worldly politics. The church played a role in the legitimacy of future European monarchs. Eventually, you got a succession crisis in the Holy Roman Empire, and the church can't really stay neutral. It's up to the church to ultimately crown who becomes emperor. So there are factions in the church, some supporting Charles de Bald, who became emperor, and some who opposed him. Formosus was on the anti-Charles de Bald side. And when it turned out Formosus and his ilk bet on the wrong horse, they didn't want to be in Rome for Charles de Bald's coronation. Again, it's the late 800s. European politics is kind of in a stabby, chop-your-head-off sort of place. So these anti-Charles de Bald clerics get out of town. The Pope at the time didn't like that. John VIII thought it was a bad look for a lot of his subordinates to not be in Rome for the coronation of the future Holy Roman Emperor. So he ordered Formosus and the other anti-Charles de Bald clerics back to Rome. Formosus, probably fearing what would happen if he and Charles de Bald were in the same town, didn't come back. He stayed in Tours. John VIII, incensed that one of his bishops would disobey a command from the Pope, excommunicated him. He accused Formosus of abandoning his duties as a bishop, abandoning his bishopric without papal permission, and, just for good measure, being part of a conspiracy to destroy the papacy. Now, that last part might have sounded unreasonable, but again, European politics are kind of in a head-choppy, backstabby kind of place. It turns out there very much was a conspiracy to destroy the papacy at work at the time. We don't know if Formosus was part of this, but eventually John VIII 
was in fact murdered by a whole bunch of his own clerics. First, they tried to poison him. That didn't work out. And then they just beat him to death. Now, plenty of popes before this had died violently, but a lot of the popes who'd gotten murdered uh, were usually ended by Roman imperial officials who were in the martyr-making business. John VIII has the dubious distinction of being the first pope murdered by his own guys. He will not be the last. John's successor, Marinus I, undid Formosus's excommunication. He said, Hey dude, you can come home, resume your job as Bishop of Portus, you're not excommunicated anymore, have your old job back. And that was all good for a while. Uh, Marinus was pope for a little over a year before dying. Then there was Adrian III. He was pope for a bit over a year before dying. Then there was another guy named Stephen V, who was pope for almost six years before he also died. I know what you're thinking. Those are really short papal terms. Were any of them murdered? Maybe. We don't know. The 800s have a lot of really, really short papal reigns, and we know that two of these guys were murdered. Maybe other ones were as well. Not sure. But by this time, by the end of Stephen V's almost six-year reign as Pope, Formosus was doing well, he was popular, he had gotten a lot of accolades for his work as a bishop, and for his work in Bulgaria, converting formerly non-Catholic Bulgarians into Catholic Bulgarians, and he was unanimously elected Pope in 891. And his reign as Pope was fine. Like, didn't really do a lot. He was a bit of a player in European politics, but no big explosions, nothing on fire. Again, no ghastly Caligula-type stuff where he abused the power of the papacy for his own ghoulish, awful, decadent ends. And then, after four years and 181 days as Pope, Formosus died. And we're not sure, but it seems that the man who would become the subject of the Cadaver Synod died peacefully and very possibly, happily. He was succeeded by Boniface VI. He was pope for all of 15 days. Now, in this case, we know it wasn't murder. He died of gout. And here, finally, is where we get to the pope that actually put on a cadaver synod, a guy called Stephen VI. We don't know how or why this guy became pope. We don't have the details of the politics that got him all poped up. But... We do know that that old dispute over the succession in the Holy Roman Empire was something that Stephen VI was still upset about, and he was on the pro-Charles the Bald side. He was on the opposite side of Formosus, and apparently still mad about it, and mad that Formosus had left his bishopric without permission, had not attended the coronation in Rome, and had set himself up as a big influential player in Bulgaria tried to be a bishop of Portus and archbishop of Bulgaria at the same time, and maybe, perished a thought, had thought about wanting to become pope. So, Stephen VI ordered Formosus to be dug up, gotten out of his grave, which he had been in for just under a year, dressed in papal finery, and put on a throne so he could be put on post-mortem trial. And Stephen VI took on the role of being prosecutor himself, and ordered that a deacon crouch behind Formosus's dead body, and be the voice of Formosus. This deacon had to answer all of the questions and abuses that Stephen VI was going to hurl 
at Formosus. This guy had to speak not just on behalf of the dead man, but as if he were the dead man. That is some weird necromancer type stuff to order somebody to be filled with the spirit of a dead guy and talk as if he is him. So it was a big show of Stephen yelling at the dead guy while a hapless deacon had to cower behind a chair and role-play as the dead guy. Of course, Stephen found Formosus guilty of a variety of crimes. He found him guilty of trying to hold two bishoprics at once, of trying to bring down the papacy, of coveting the papacy, and of perjury. That thing where he made the deacon answer on behalf of Formosus? Stephen said that a lot of those answers weren't good enough and just added perjury to the list of things he could get Formosus for. After this cadaver synod, Stephen ordered that Formosus's corpse, stripped of all its finery, and that three fingers on Formosus's right hand be cut off. Those were the fingers that Formosus used to bless people. And by cutting off the fingers on his right hand, that was a way to undo all of the blessings that this pope had conferred upon people. After the cadaver synod, Stephen did not put Formosus back in his grave. Instead, he ordered that the disinterred dead body be thrown into the Tiber. And there were real consequences for disinterring Formosus, yelling at his corpse, cutting off his fingers, and throwing his body in a river. It meant that all of the papal acts and ordinations that he performed were considered null and void. So let's say you were a bishop or priest ordained by Formosus. Well, guess what? Your ordination didn't count anymore. You had to reapply for a new one. Imagine if, like, a president asked for the resignation of everybody appointed by the previous president and said, hey guys, you have to submit a new resume. That is basically what Stephen did. The other big consequence of the Cadaver Synod is that a whole bunch of people in the Vatican saw it and decided that Stephen was crazy and somebody took it upon themselves to strangle him to death, making him the second pope to die violently at the hands of one of his own guys. So after Stephen's untimely demise, his successor, John IX, declared that all of Formosus's acts were, in fact, valid. So all those priests and bishops and all those guys who had been appointed and blessed by Formosus, he said, don't worry, you guys have your old jobs back. It's like you were never unpriested at all. Later on, another pope, there are so many popes in this episode, Sergius III nullified absolutely everything about the Cadaver Synod, religionizing everything about Formosus years after his dead body had been put on trial and thrown into a river. So it's possible that some priests were ordained by Formosus, got unordained by Stephen VI, lived as lay people for a few years, maybe did some lay people stuff like getting married or whatever, got re-priested by John IX, and man, that would make for a really complicated LinkedIn profile. What's your reason for leaving your last job? Well, my new boss put the corpse of my old boss on trial and declared that my promotion was never actually legitimate, so laid off, I guess? The Cadaver Synod is well-remembered as one of the papacy's low points, and later on became a sticking point in arguments about potential papal infallibility. And it is only the first ghoulish episode we're doing this October. There are more. Next week, we're going to talk about 
a ghost who isn't a ghost, a creation of science and memory, one that was nothing but a game, but real nonetheless. And, as always, this podcast is 100% ad-free and independent because of you. Thank you to all of you who support it every month. Go to weirdhistorypodcast.com to become a supporter. We are on Apple Podcasts. Go to Apple Podcasts. Give us stars. Give us a rating. I love seeing your guys' feedback. I read absolutely every one of those reviews. So go there. Tell me what you think. I would love to hear from you. That also helps other people discover the show because it does stuff with their algorithm. So go do that. We're on social media. The podcast is on Facebook, facebook.com slash weirdhistorypodcast. I am on Twitter at J-O-E-S-T-R-E-C-K-E-R-T, at Joe Streckert. Follow me there for all kinds of tweets about what the show is doing and occasional opinions about dinosaurs. Thank you all for listening. Talk to you next week. Bye. Exquisite dead guy Rotating in his display case Exquisite dead guy Swear I saw his mouth move. <laughs>